Fortunato. I am your host, joined as always by my co-host, Michael Murphy, in what is the 10th official episode of Bantering the Blue Shirts. Mike, they said that we would never make it this far. They told us that we would never make it to 10 episodes, and yet here we are. Uh, before I let Mike jump on, especially because he's muted right now for some reason, uh, this show will continue to air every single Tuesday. Obviously, today's show is on Wednesday, but we did that because we pushed the show back a day for the Rangers game against the Lightning that happened yesterday. The Rangers won 3-2, so that's good. Yay. Um, The show will continue to be every Tuesday at 8 o'clock. As the playoffs come, I have a feeling we're going to kind of move the show around a little bit because I feel like I remember Tuesday being a heavy day for the playoffs. So hopefully we need to move the show a few times as the Rangers continue to win. Um, But we'll revert back to Tuesday for next week. So thank you all for sticking with us and Thanks, everybody who uh, sent me an email and told me that they missed us yesterday, which is one person. So, woohoo. Mike, how are you doing today, buddy? I am good. A little concerned with the team and uh, the injury to Girardi and obviously McDonough, but relatively good. How are you? I'm good. You know, it's it's very funny you say that, to, to quote Steve Carell in Anchorman. Things really did escalate quickly between – us maybe doing the show on Tuesday and not doing the show. Mike and I made that decision on Monday. So between Monday and yesterday, McDonough got hurt. Girardi got hurt. The Rangers had probably the worst first period they have ever had and then somehow won the game anyway in what is probably a shining example of the type of game they're going to have to play in the playoffs. Before we get into any of that, I just want to let you guys know that Adam Herman is going to be joining us at about 8.30 just to talk some prospects, some Fogarty, some Nieves, and uh, some Adam Chappie, uh, the signing that the Rangers made from UMass Lowell, who my Quinnipiac Bobcats decimated in the uh, second round. They'll be playing BC tomorrow in the Final Four uh, for the National Hockey Championship. And uh, as is such, we're probably not going to take callers the first 30 minutes, so I see someone's holding from 914. If you want to stay holding, we might take you a little bit later, but uh, we probably aren't. Oh, look, a second person called in. It's so sad. Um, so I guess we should probably start with the Ryan McDonough injury. He broke a bone in his wrist, blocking a Brandon Dubinsky shot in the first period of what ended up being the Rangers' playoff clinching victory in Columbus. He is out indefinitely. He's not going to play the rest of the regular season just based off of the reports and some of the things that we've been able to independently track down on the site. It sounds like he's going to at least miss a few playoff games. Uh, not exactly what you want to happen going into the playoffs, Mike. Is there a worse injury outside of Henrik Lundqvist that you could have imagined for the Rangers going into the playoffs? Uh, I don't think there is a worse injury for the team outside of Hank. And, you know, you could even make a case with how Ronta, you know, plays some nights that a guy being out for a couple of nights or being out for the first game of the series, the Rangers might be able to deal with an injury to Hank for missing him for one game better than McDonough. 
it's and it, and it really showed against Tampa. I think Klein played 27 minutes or something absurd like that. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, and by a lot, I should say, really Stahl and Girardi, who you now have to try and shelter or put them in a situation where they're not against quality forwards. And um, McDonough was obviously doing a lot of that heavy lifting on the blue line, and to have him out of the lineup really kind of throws the rest of the lineup to the Wolves. So, um, I don't know. It's certainly will give us a look at uh, at Shea and Mathurath, which is which is nice. There's a silver lining there. <laughs> both of them played pretty well against the Lightning. They think that they were both uh, they were both unfortunately part of that first period that I think might have been one of the first periods of the year. Fifty is saying the first period against Carolina was. Um, I, I just think that. Well, okay. So there's a few different ways to look at this. The first thing is that Donna kind of is the glue that keeps the top four together, if you will, because there are opportunities for other guys to get slid up into that top pairing. Vigneault has gone to Kevin Klein quite a bit. Sometimes there's a, a McDonough-Yandel pairing that God knows isn't very often, but uh, for the most part, it seems like Girardi was being sheltered a little bit more. He was putting put on the third pairing. He was playing with Yandel a little bit. So there's definitely a few things that were changing for the better, I think. I think both Stahl and Girardi saw probably less crunch time these past two weeks than we've seen in a really long time. And that was part of the ode to Vigneault maybe preparing for the playoffs. There was something to be positive about in that regard. The next thing you know, McDonough goes down, and we were kind of playing with some of the defensive pairings on the website in the comments, and it's bad. I mean, Girardi-Stahl might be the team's, I don't want to say it's the top pairing, but it's going to be in the top four, especially if Shea is in there. I think Shea is probably the replacement for McDonough because Vigneault needs to make sure that the handiness aspect is all kept the same. But I think I, I think for all the things to happen, a Ryan McDonough injury is probably the worst thing to happen for a couple of different reasons. And I think you and I should focus on the on ice right now, which is the Rangers lost their best defenseman. Uh, in the times that the Rangers were without McDonough, Keith Yandel stepped up because he was played like a number one defenseman. Do you see that happening in the playoffs? I, I don't think Vigneault has a choice, but we've seen him do some off the wall things. So do, do you think Yandel's the guy? Well, my before seeing, you know, yesterday's game, I would have probably said yes. But then you know, we saw just how much Vigneault leaned on Klein. Um, I have to quickly check. Uh, 19 minutes of ice for Yandel last night. Um, I would hope that you would give Yandel more ice time. But what's that? 27. He played Klein 27 minutes. Yeah, and he so, played Yandel 19. Yeah. Right. It, so maybe I'm wrong, but continue your point. No, my my point is I would hope that, you know, I'm not sure I, I want to have any defenseman play 27 minutes a night, but I would hope that we would see Yandel get the bulk of the ice time. Um, and, you know, it looked like really he leaned on Klein and Stahl. And uh, that's – it's interesting because I think that Klein has actually not looked very good the last few games uh, compared to what we've seen uh, at times from him. And, uh, you know, I know that Yandel comes with high-risk, high-reward play and um, it's easy to notice his mistakes because they're often the result of uh, trying to make something happen and 
going for a stretch pass that ends up to be a turnover or what have you. But, um, you know, there's there's a reason why he leads the team in assists. Uh, he does things that no one else in that blue line can do. I think the other – the Tampa Bay Lightning game really ended up being a, a microcosm of what the Rangers' season has been, sort of a harbinger of what the Rangers are going to have to do to win in the playoffs. And I think it was Adam Herman who said it. The Rangers just have to shoot for par in possession. You have to get solid goaltending from Lundqvist. And the offense has to be able to outpunch the goals that are going into your own net because of the issues on defense. Now, that was with everybody healthy. You look at the game against the Lightning, the Rangers played an atrocious first period against what probably amounts to the Lightning's B team. No Stamkos, no Hedman, no Strowman. No Callahan, I don't really know that elite group, but I guess from his, his Ranger roots, we'll have to. So you're talking about two of their top defensemen and their best forward is not in the lineup. And the Rangers got decimated by the Lightning in the first period. Derek Stefan scores two goals. Chris Kreider, Chris Kreider scores the game winner. The Rangers are in control again in the third period until they started to put the landing gear down and they needed Lundqvist to make two or three unbelievable saves. But this is sort of what you're going to see in the playoffs if the Rangers are going to be successful. The defense is not going to get any better. Even with McDonough in the lineup, this is still a team that I'm doing a story. I don't really want to ruin it, but it's about the type of team that the Rangers are going to have to be in the playoffs and about the Ryan McDonough injury. But I looked up, I had some help from a, a, someone who a loyal reader of Blue Shirt Fans who sent me an email. I did a little research for me. I don't remember his name right now. I think it's Peter uh, Boodle, Boodell. He's going to be mad at me, uh, but I give him a shout out in the story that's incoming. But the Rangers have dropped 15 points this year in games where they gave up a late goal. And I think there were 19 games on the attachment that the Rangers happened to win. So you're talking about the difference between being a dominant two seed in the conference and maybe even fighting with Washington for a president's trophy race, playing in home ice in the first round against this team that's sort of stumbling into the playoffs, playing the Penguins on the road where the Rangers have not been good this year, and not really going in with any forward momentum. And look, we've talked a lot about some of the things that Vigneault has done on this team. We've talked a lot about some of the decisions he's made. Mike and I are going to have a little hissy fit in a couple of minutes about the Lindbergh Hayes McElrath situation. But uh, just to finish my point, you definitely look at that lightning game and think those are the games that you're going to see in the playoffs. I think I said this last week or maybe during the positive podcast that I don't remember. There will not be any one, nothing two one wins this year. It's just not going to happen, especially with McDonough out. And especially if Girardi's out and I don't necessarily mean, look, I think McElrath can replace Girardi. Obviously first thing is you hope Girardi's okay. I cannot remember the last time that I saw the team doctor come out for a player on the ice with the Rangers. I'm going to say it's been years. Someone might correct me. I don't know, but to especially see Girardi go down like that is really scary because Girardi never goes down like that. And it's a dirty hit by Brian Boyle. He should be suspended. So if Girardi's out, the Rangers have sort of backed themselves in a corner where you have these expectations that you need McElrath and Shea to step into because of these injuries. And because Vigneault has not played either of them, and I'm giving him a pass on Shea because Shea was developing in the AHL, 
but for McElrath to rot in the press box, he's not prepared for what the Rangers need him to do. And I thought he played a really solid game in the 12 minutes he got yesterday. And Mignot didn't play him at all in crunch time. So, I mean, do you have thoughts on the, the McDonough, excuse me, the Girardi injury, Mike? We don't know what's going on with him. We're going to assume he's not playing the rest of the regular season from a precautionary standpoint, but it certainly didn't look good, no? It was a, the way I looked at it. I thought it was just a scary play. Like there's, there's a guy who was going after me on Twitter because I had uh, accused Tanner Glass's head of being dirty and not belonging in the game, which I don't think it does. It doesn't matter if he targeted the head. He blindsided a guy and hit him late, and it's a dangerous play. Therefore, it doesn't belong in the game. Um, and the same, uh, the same guy on Twitter asked me what I thought of. Uh, what happened to Girardi and you know the word I have for it is dirty and the main word I have for it is dangerous and the thing that was spooky to me is that you could clearly see uh, the back of his head and the helmet hit the hit the boards and you know like you said you really just don't see Dan Girardi go down and really stay down he's one of those guys who just seems to shrug off almost every injury and uh, you know as this podcast is certainly no stranger to um, bemoaning um, the the black hole he's been on the blue line in regards to possession and frequent mistakes and the, the seemingly endless leash he's been given by uh, the head coach. But, you know, we, you've already stated this, but obviously his health is more important than anything. And Dan Girardi, the person, is more important than anything. But um, I don't know. It's an interesting point you raised with not giving Makarath a chance to be in the lineup, um, despite the fact that some of these veterans that Vino has shown favoritism towards really haven't played well enough to stay in the lineup when there's someone like Makarath uh, waiting in the wings and ready to play. Um, it's not something we should be really that shocked with, considering, you know, Rafael Diaz is still in the AHL, and a little while ago he was really looking like a better choice than some of the rest of the guys that uh, – that were regularly in the lineup. But um, I don't know, you know, a few years ago hearing that we would have both McDonough and Girardi out would be, you know, I'm not sure we would expect to win a game. But now now it's a different story. With that being said, it's still a guy who plays a lot of minutes. He's still a guy that's obviously important in the locker room. He's a guy who, you know, he's still trusted in the shorthanded, you know, and obviously shorthanded in the special teams and, I think the real thing is now you have these two young players who are being thrust in this position where they might have to be leaned on in a big, serious way in the playoffs. And right now it looks like we're probably going to play a very scary offense in the playoffs, no matter who that team is. And that's not a great thing. To that note, the if you can't separate Girardi the person from Girardi the player, just – don't open your mouth and say anything because there were a lot of people who were uh, some people were happy he got hurt, which you're an idiot. And then some people were chirping everybody who is against Girardi and his contract. And you're also an idiot. If you think that we're happy that Girardi got hurt, nobody wants to see that happen. And I think Girardi has actually been okay the past couple of weeks from uh, how much damage is he actively doing to the team standpoint. And it's because, the Rangers have sort of sheltered him a little bit. He wasn't up there with McDonough anymore. He wasn't going after the top guys anymore. He was kind of getting those leftover minutes and those leftover pairings. And that's a good thing. The Rangers are going to look at something like that in the playoffs. And 
if there are silver linings to take all over the place from the lightning game, I honestly believe Mike and I were talking about it a little bit before the show, but the one thing that I think you can take away on defense is Mark Stahl had a really good game yesterday. I mean, a really good game yesterday. One of his vintage Mark Stahl games. And the Rangers are going to need a lot more of that from him because he's the guy who's going to have to step up. Uh, I don't know what the situation is with Girardi. I really feel like the Girardi injury is going to be either he's fine, he could come back for the regular season, but he's not going to, or he's out the rest of the year. And I'm not sure which one it is. Mignot kind of got the thumbs up from the team doctors after the game, but I think we would have heard something by today if he was cleared. Maybe the Rangers are just playing things close to the chest. I don't know, but there's definitely that aspect to things. And now, like you said, look, no team is going to be prepared for losing two of their defensemen, even if they're both bottom-pairing defensemen. In this case, there's a bottom-pairing defenseman in Girardi and the number one defenseman in McDonough. But I, I think the Rangers need to make sure that they're not going to look at this playoff series and look at basically whatever happens to the Rangers as an extension of, oh, we would have been better without McDonough. Or we would have, excuse me, would have been better with McDonough because uh, as much as that's true, this team still needs a lot of help and it's a bad way to make a future outlook to say this group deserves another shot at going all the way next year. So I think one of the main positives I took from the Lightning and really the past couple of weeks has been Chris Kreider. It's very clear that Chris Kreider is coming onto his game. I, I brought back the I never gave up on Kreider hashtag. Um, there are a lot of people out there who wanted Kreider traded. There are a lot of people out there who wanted Kreider gone. This is the guy that the Rangers need, this secondary offense, this, this supplemental type of goal scorer who is coming through in huge minutes for the Rangers. And the other guy that you have to talk about is Derek Stefan, who's probably had one of the best second halves of his career. He's, I think he has a career high in points now for this year. He's maybe a career high in goals. It was, I'm not sure, but you, you have these two guys who are coming on JT Miller's coming on Zuccarello and Broussard have been constant sources of offense. Rick Nash is scoring goals. Eric Stahl really hasn't come in as an offensive factor yet, but the Rangers are a dominant team offensively when they actually have the puck and when the pucks are going in. I understand you can say that for anybody, but we've talked a lot about the matchup nightmare that that third line provides with Kevin Hayes, uh, Eric Stahl, and whoever happens to be on the wing when Vigneault comes around and switches his lines up. But you take the forward momentum from some of these players, basically Hayes, who's been much better the past couple of weeks. Vigneault sits him, puts in Lindbergh, and plays Lindbergh for six minutes. Is there any sense to be made for something like that, Mike? No. And, you know, like you uh, mentioned, you and I talked about this before the show. It's one of those things where you – it's not it's not just that he played six minutes, it's that he played six minutes on a team that had eleven forwards for, for forty minutes of the game. It's I don't I don't know what Elaine Vigneault doesn't see in Oscar Lindbergh's game or what he sees that he doesn't like rather. No, I don't know why he thinks Oscar Lindbergh doesn't doesn't deserve ice time or that Kevin Hayes needed to be a healthy scratch and have his cage rattled. Or, you know, even we could say why Chris Kreider, who's been so good, got 14 minutes of ice time. Um, also, keep in mind, with 11 forwards for most of the game. It's just, I don't, there's no defending it. It's uh, it's one of those things you look at, 
and you look at how just how good Lindbergh is in the possession game and how good he is just with the eye test. You know, he's a very, very good defensive forward. Um, is he, you know, is he a 25-goal guy? Of course not. Um, but when he's in the lineup, he helps the team. He, he's not a guy who, you know, takes away from whatever line he's on. He's certainly not a top six guy right now, but there's very few guys in the bottom six who have looked as good as Lindbergh has when he's been on his game. And, you know, I don't know about you. I just don't know what possible reason there can be for him, a young guy who, you know, the team is invested in and he's one of the few, you know, I know there's a bit of a surplus down the middle and he can be a natural center and all that stuff. But do you see any reasoning behind him being out of the lineup or seeing six minutes of ice? I don't. And this is another case of why even play him at that point. I think you put it best when you said rattle his cage. This is a game that was meaningless for the Rangers. They already clinched the playoffs. Everybody on that team and their mother has to be aware that the best thing for the Rangers to do is to fall into that first wild card spot that they're playing the Florida Panthers instead of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So not only are you basically pulling out a guy who's you need to be really good in Hayes in the playoffs, you need that secondary offense, you're shaking the confidence of him. You're putting in Lindbergh, who is getting, what, some practice reps in the event of him having to play in the playoffs, and then you only play him for six minutes. It's the same confusion about playing McElrath for 12 minutes and Kevin Klein's 27 minutes against the Lightning. What sense does it make? And if you're looking at this team, what are the reasons that the youth hasn't played that some of these veterans are playing? Uh, Vigneault likes the veteran presence of Tanner Glass. He, he thinks that he's a guy he can rely on. He's nervous about the rookies taking penalties. Well, Glass took a five-minute major for a dirty hit and completely threw the balance of that game into just madness because it was 2 nothing. Tampa had a five-minute power play, and Tampa Bay doesn't score on it. But if they do, that game is over. So you're telling me that the guy that you're sitting and then the guy that you're playing and not playing because you only give him six minutes, even after Glass is gone. Glass played a minute and 26 seconds. You're telling me you can't get better from him? That's what I don't understand. And that's part of my biggest issue with Vigneault is I don't see the logic behind any of the moves he makes. And quite frankly, we have a media here in New York that does not poke the bear. They don't care. And that's frustrating too, because I don't think anybody asked about Lindbergh's ice time. I don't think anybody asked, Hey, why aren't you sitting guys like, um, I don't know if not even Tanner glass, Dominic Moore, someone else that you want to give a rest, but seriously, why aren't you sitting Tanner glass? Nobody asks the questions and that's very frustrating. And it's very frustrating not to know what happens. And when someone does ask a question, like someone asked about getting Lindbergh back into the lineup, then Yo's answer is quote, it, I felt like it was the right thing to do. A, that doesn't tell us anything. B, that quote is going to give me an aneurysm and I am going to die. And then someone is going to have to take over the podcast for me and Mike can become the regular host and all of you can be very happy. Like there needs to be some more substance to decisions like that. And there isn't. And it's, just feels like a waste. You keep using the word invested. And I think that's the best way to put it because the Rangers are investing in their futures. The Rangers are investing in Kevin Hayes. They're investing in Oscar Lindbergh. They obviously kept 
both of them at the trade deadline. Not that I think Hayes' name would have been out there for Eric Stahl anyway, but there's a lot of things to be happy about with Lindbergh. He would make that fourth line so much better. And the fact that no one sees that, and the fact that nobody asks about that, is frustrating. So there are a lot of people out there, and I made this comment yesterday, who will tell you that you're a bad fan for having questions about the lineup and that are questioning Vigneault. And I, I just don't agree with that. Not looking below the surface is so much more dangerous than actually asking questions and being intelligent about the hockey team. And don't let anybody tell you how to be a hockey fan. If you just want to watch the game, you don't care about analytics, fine. If you want to watch the game on a spreadsheet, fine. If you don't want to ask any questions, fine. There should be no fighting about this, and I'm going to get off my soapbox in a minute, I promise, because you're all rooting for the same thing. You're all rooting for the Rangers to win. That's what you want. So the way that I look at it, my negativity and my criticism, and Mike, you're in this camp, and so is everybody who, who really comes and enjoys the work that we do on the banter, is because we want to see the team put in a better position for that success. And we have not seen it to this point. And that's what's frustrating. Because I think the Rangers really wasted what could have been a learning year for McElrath this year. I think they wasted what could have been a learning year for Oscar Lindbergh too. Since he's, he really just has not gotten in the lineup at all. And it's frustrating. He doesn't know what he did wrong and neither does AV. If we're being honest, it's just contortion to keep glass in the lineup. That's what it's become. So I don't know what's going to happen in this year's playoffs, and I don't know what the repercussions are going to be if the Rangers get laughed out of the building, but Ryan McDonough's injury should not be a reason why Jeff Gordon and company can say, oh, we would have been so much better without him, because things are not good with him. The Rangers just happen to have an elite goaltender who are picking them up. Um, do you think that last point, it's, it's, that's the spoiler alert to the big story that I have that's coming, that the Rangers might look at what happens in this year's playoffs and brush it off if McDonough isn't a part of it as, oh, it would have been much better if he was still there. Do you think that's something we should be concerned about as, as the fans? Um, well, I didn't really think of it until you just said it, and that w- it would be obviously very concerning. Um, I think it's, it's a good card for the organization to hold in their hand in the event that an early playoff exit, which I think a lot of us are honestly dreading at this point because, you know, the Rangers aren't the only team that are backing into the playoffs here. You know, uh, there's a couple, there's plenty of teams out West who are in the same situation. And, you know, the Boston Bruins are also enjoying a absolute free fall at the moment. Um, but it's, I, I can't imagine, you know, fans embracing that or going along with it when we see Henrik Lundqvist's age continuing to go in the wrong direction, you know, which is obviously he's getting older and his best years, it's one of the, even like last night against Tampa, Lundqvist was unreal. Um, I think he had something like 24 saves on 25 even strength shots. He let in a power play goal. Um, But again, Without Lundqvist and Nett, as you pointed out earlier, where would the Rangers be in that game? Not to mention the fact that Tampa has one of the worst power plays in the league. But um, it would be, it's a, an all-too-convenient excuse. But I think if people get latched onto that and too focused on that, I think it, the danger is overlooking what the real problem is. And the real problem has been 
the management of assets and players on the team and how we use players on the team and especially players who are very, very good like Keith Yandel and players who are very, very bad like Girardi and Glass and the position they're put in. Because, you know, I said this earlier with how much leash uh, Girardi got, but, you know, I, I can't stress that point enough. The, the amount of the amount of mistakes a young guy is allowed to make in this lineup is laughable. It seems like if you make, you know, one or two mistakes, you'll be riding the bench. And, you know, all you need to do is just study the time on ice from that game against Tampa to understand what Vigneault thinks of younger players. And keep in mind, this is a game that really doesn't matter. And you would think that with with veteran guys injured, you would want to get these young guys ice time. You want them to get on the ice playing with guys they might play with in the playoffs. And, you know, McElrath and Shea are very important now. You know, Lindbergh is, is very important right now. Um, I don't know what to expect, and I really don't know how to feel about the theory that uh, the organization just might say, oh, well, if we had our captain, things would have been different. But uh, I'm not sure that'll be a good enough excuse for me because so much has gone wrong and the team has been so fortunate and lucky. And, you know, I say that even with, as you pointed out, that amazing statistic of letting in late goals, which a lot of people would say, oh, that's bad luck, but... This team has been, there's no escaping it. This has been a very fortunate team for pretty much the entirety of the regular season. Um, do you think that excuse is going to cut it? I don't, but I have a really weird feeling that it, it could get utilized. When, when I think, and the reason why we're talking about this, and Mike and I were talking a little bit before that we don't want to be too negative because there really are some things to be positive about. I think Kreider, Miller, Hayes, Gorello, I, I honestly do think a lot of the youth step on have really made this very easy to root Everyone for. Everyone is having goals. one of the best years of his career. Right. Everybody's scoring 20 goals. Right? He's a five 20 goal scorers and Rick Nash and Eric Stahl are not one of them. So right away, you're talking about some fantastic work. Keith Yandel is having a great year for the Rangers. I think most assists since Brian Leach, I want to say not in his heyday, but since Brian Leach, uh, maybe towards the end, but you're talking about a, a, a team that has the pieces that are really good, that can make a deep run. And I think the frustration is those glass penalties, like that, that five minute major against glass, that can be the difference between losing a playoff game and winning a playoff game. That can be the difference between winning and losing a playoff series and little mistakes like that. The little turnovers, Girardi not covering his man, Stahl not covering his man. Listen, let's call a spade a spade. Kevin Klein has not been very good the past few weeks either. And him and McDonough have had some really rough games. The Rangers cannot afford any of that in the playoffs. They need them to be perfect if McDonough is even playing. So you look at these little things and they add up to wins and losses. And when they add up like that in the negative, you're going to lose more of those situations than you're going to win, especially when you're playing playoff caliber teams. That was the Lightning B squad that lit the Rangers up all over the ice. What do you think the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are probably the hottest team in hockey right now, what do you think they're going to do with that opportunity? It's going to be bad. And as I said, I don't want to get repetitive, but you need to pray that the offense and Lundqvist can bail out the defense. And whether or not that's going to happen remains to be seen. Who the Rangers play is going to be a big part of it. 
if the Rangers starting two rookies on defense, then that's going to be a part of this as well. But I think some of these issues the Rangers could have avoided. And I think some of it is a Vigneault issue. And I think some of it is a Gordon issue that he should have taken the toy out of Vigneault's hands and just dealt with this from the beginning. And here we are. So, like I said, I don't want it to be too negative. I, I do think there are positive things. I think that if there's anything you can really hang your hat on, it's that this offense has not had everybody click at the same time. And when it does, they are going to be lethal. But until that happens, it's scary. And that's going to be the, the be-all end-all for the Rangers, unfortunately, because if we're being honest, this defense is not going to get their act together because there's nothing to get together. They, even if everybody's healthy, they've had their issues. The stat that I cited about the, the points that the Rangers have lost due to blown late leads, that was with a healthy defense. That was with a healthy group of guys. So that brings us to good old Adam Herman who is being unmuted as we speak. Adam, how are you doing, buddy? Uh, I've been I've been better. Uh for uh for those that don't know, I um I managed to break my arm playing dodgeball last week. So uh it's uh it's been quite a week, but uh no, I'm all right. I'm all right. I thought we talked about maybe making up a better story than that, but I guess the, the people know the truth now. Adam may or may not be on serious amounts of Percocet, so you should enjoy this, uh, this segment yeah, of yeah. the podcast. We'll, we'll see where it goes. Um, so we'll get to uh, the NCAA guys who, who jumped up in the Evans and Fogarty in a minute. I think the, the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was just picking your brain with what I'm going to look at is sort of a questionable signing in, in Adam Trappy from UMass Lowell, a 24-year-old guy who's turning 25 this summer who wasn't even a point-per-game player in his senior year with a, a pretty good team. Do you see what the uh, the Rangers saw in this situation? Uh, I mean, so first let me give a bit of a background on, uh, you know, for those that don't know, the Rangers signed uh, an un, undrafted free agent out of uh, UMass Lowell, Adam Chappie. Uh, who's a who's a forward? Um, you know, he's actually a bit of an interesting story. He uh, he started his junior career in the North American Hockey League, which is one tier below the USHL. So uh, he wasn't even top tier juniors in the U.S. Um, and for the NHL, um, you know, if you're going there, your hope basically is you're you're staying in that league until 17, maybe 18 then jumping directly to college or the USHL. Uh, he stayed there until he was funny. Um, and if you're doing that, you're not really looking at uh, pro, pro. You're not having pro aspirations, let alone NHL. Uh, and then he walked on to UMass Lowell, actually. Uh, he, he walked onto the team uh, as a freshman. And he, he made a nice uh, college career for himself, eventually becoming one of the uh, better players for a team that went to the NCAA tournament uh, this uh, past spring, a few weeks ago. So in that sense, you know, good yeah. for him. Really, really nice story. Uh, you know, congratulations to him on their earning a, you know, NHL contract in unlikely circumstances. Um, you know, that being said, you, you know, you mentioned a lot of, uh, like what, uh, a lot of things that make it a bit of a questionable signing. Uh, you know, he was uh, a bit under point per game in college and again, uh, he uh, was a late bloomer, so he was a 24-year-old, almost 25, playing against guys who are, you know, 
22-21, maybe even, you know, 2019-18. So, he, uh, you know, there's a huge age gap there, and he didn't exactly uh, didn't exactly light it up. Um, and, yeah, he'll be 25 this summer. So, uh, I watched a few games of him. Not that a few games tells the entire story, but uh, it does give it a good idea, I think. And, you know, I saw a guy who – uh, works hard every shift. Uh, you know, he uh, played on the power play game as well. He likes to put pucks on net, decent shot. You know, good work ethic. The you know usual buzzwords that you'd expect for a guy uh, when you're basically describing someone who you know doesn't have much skill or potential. Um, you know, and obviously I have my own biases and such. So uh, I hit up someone I trust who. You know, he's uh, one of the best guys you're going to find in terms of uh, hockey East, evaluating hockey East players and such. And, and what he told me was that uh, we're dealing with a guy who, you know, probably is a career AHLer. You know, maybe if everything, you know, goes right, where you can uh, have an energy fourth liner. But uh, definitely, definitely not the high-impact signing that we might have hoped for. Just a note, Chappie played on the Cleveland Lumberjacks in the CASHL and the New Mexico Mustangs in the NHL. Those are two awesome team names. Yeah. Um, it's worth noting, since Adam kind of brought up the point about him probably being an AHL lifer, that I'm going to say 80% of the Rangers farm system is up for a contract renewal this year. And there are a lot of yeah. guys who the Rangers are not going to be signing, so – they do need to kind of replenish the depth a little bit. This might be a move in that vein. Not every single NCAA signing has, I mean, obviously the hope is that they're going to make the jump to the NHL, but some of them could be for that AHL depth and the Rangers are going to need that with all the players that I'm anticipating them not bringing back. So this is sort of a a critical year for the Rangers in that regard, because they can kind of start fresh if they want to with the farm system that's been, I think they've, produced a couple of stars in, in Shea and Bushnevich, we hope, but uh, the bottom level has been disappointing, and that's the no fault of Gordy Clarks. It's just the fact that the Rangers haven't had a lot of high-end picks. They've traded a lot of their depth away in, in these moves for Yandel and uh, Eric Stahl and losing the picks for Marty St. Louis, so that's part of this issue, and this might be a move to rectify that, but I agree with Adam. At, at 24, turning 25, you're pretty much what you are, whether you like it or not. Um, Mike, I feel bad. You, you've sort of been relegated to the outside here. Do you have any thoughts on Chappie? I was going to ask Adam. I, I was just looking at his stats a bit. I saw, you know, 57 penalty minutes as a senior. Is he known for a physical game? Does, would that make sense when he translates to eventually, hopefully, like a fourth-line energy guy? Yeah, I mean, like like I said, uh, you know, all the all the buzzwords that you expect for – uh, this kind of player, you know, I, I think he's an honest player. I don't think he's, you know, a goon or has questionable judgment or anything, but he's definitely going to, you know, mix things up. He'll, you know, battle on the boards. He'll go to the front of the net. Uh, you know, he's he's that kind of player, um, which in itself is all right. Um, you know, for those that don't know, um, in, the, in the AHL, there's a limit for how many veteran players you can have in the lineup at one time. And uh, veteran players are you know, you're like a Jason Megna um, or, you know, last year, Chris Mueller or, or a Rafi Diaz. 
you can only have, I think, seven of those guys. So you need to fill out the rest of the lineup somehow. Uh, and uh, like we said, a lot of expiring contracts. The Rangers aren't, you know, exactly loaded in the farm system with guys coming in. So you uh, you gotta you gotta fill the void somehow. But uh, I think the concern is that, you know, like you mentioned, um, with you know all the prospects, all the draft picks that have been traded. Uh, you also have to fill that void somehow. Um, and, you know, if if this is the best the Rangers that were, you know, have been able to pull off, you know, they're, they're, they're in trouble. If, uh, you know, if, if they're having trouble pulling in, you know, any of the guys with, uh, you know, legitimate NHL ceiling in the free agency. So it's a, it's a big concern. Yeah, I wrote a story on whether or not the Rangers were an attractive destination for these types of NCAA free agents just because of the way that some of the youth has been handled. Uh, I think Adam has one in the works as well. He's making a little different. We both kind of have the same idea. So uh, those are two topics that I think is for a later date that we'll get into over the summer a little bit more. Uh, in the meantime, Adam, two players that the Rangers were able to sign their own uh, or their own not free agents, but right up at the deadline for their NCAA prospects and Stephen Fogarty, who is a senior with Notre Dame, and uh, Cristobal Boo Nieves, if you hear him called Boo Nieves, this is nickname Boo, uh, from Michigan. Obviously, Nieves is the player with the higher ceiling when he was drafted. A lot of people thought he might be a Joe Thornton-type player, not saying he was going to be the next Joe Thornton, but a Joe Thornton-type player. He had an unbelievable freshman year with the University of Michigan. He had 29 points in 40 games, and then kind of dwindled a little bit until he, he looked like he had a pretty productive uh, senior year for uni- for Michigan. What, what are your thoughts on, on him in terms of the offense really not being there as much as people kind of wanted to see from a dominant player and what you think his ceiling is? He's got two points in his two AHL games so far, and, and then you could touch on Fogarty too. Sure. Um, you know, with Nieves, like you said, he had a really, you know, really strong freshman year. And then uh, he had – an absolutely miserable start to his sophomore year. Like, it was just terrible. Like, he just could not get any points at all, no matter, like, just no luck, nothing was going right. And it was it was definitely getting to his head. Um, eventually, like uh, the Rangers actually – I'm sorry? I said like Chris Carter in the beginning of this year. Yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's kind of similar. Um, the Rangers actually sent Adam Graves to Michigan to – talk to him and say like hey you know like you know it happens like just you know pick your head up you know stop feeling bad for yourself let's go and uh started picking up his production um you know and he got better he got better in his uh, junior and senior seasons although you know at the end of the day um I don't think he quite reached that level of consistency that um the Rangers hoped for but you know it, that, that's that's why it's not every single you know, prospect is going to end up being, uh, uh, you know, that grand slam. But, you know, he's still, he's still a solid NHL prospect. Um, he's uh, had a really good start in Hartford. Uh, he's actually picked up primary assists in both of his uh, first games. And, um, you know, I think it's going to be a bit of a transition period for him. You know, uh, a guy like him all through, uh, you know, growing up high school, Whatever he was, you know, the main man offensively. He was the big point producer, you know. And uh, I think uh, reality hit him a bit at Michigan that he's not that guy anymore. Um, and I think he's a guy who, you know, really 
really great speed, um, good size that he's starting to use a lot better now. Um, and he still, he still can, you know, he pulls off some individual plays, you know, just carrying the puck, going coast to coast, uh, dangling through guys where it's like, you know, why can't he just, you know, put that together more often, often a bit more. Um, but, you know, I think you got a guy here who can be, you know, really good third liner who, um, you know, can go on the four check, can play the penalty kill and, you know, maybe gets, uh, you know, 10 to 15 goals per year. Um, in regards to Steve Fogarty, uh, a bit of a similar story. Um, when the Rangers picked him up, he uh, compared to Derek Stepan because he's also a Minnesota boy, center, huge point producer in high school. And then, you know, kind of the same thing. Got to college, uh, you know, I think realized he wasn't going to be that guy anymore. He was used strictly in defensive duties for the first couple of years. Uh, got more offensive responsibilities as time went on. Um, again, I don't think uh, the offense quite developed as the Rangers hoped. But uh, you know, once again, you, you know that, that's that's the reality of prospects. Um, but the good news is that um, he uh, his defensive game has gotten a lot better um, and is maybe better than where the Rangers thought it would be. So uh, you're looking at a guy who you know will definitely need a year or two in Hartford, but um, has a lot of the qualities that you look at in, you know, a Dominic Moore or like uh, Jared Stoll when he uh, could actually play hockey on like, uh, you know, this year where, you know, uh, defensive, true defensive center wins pace off, penalty kill, you know, like leader, good in the room, you know, et cetera. So, you know, both these guys, um, they're not superstar prospects, but they're certainly legitimate, you know, prospects who have made this next step to Hartford and, uh, you know, in a couple of years could make the jump to the NHL. Yeah, I do want to just very quickly apologize to the two people who are on hold for the entire show. Now that we've uh, we've crossed into the threshold of the 45-minute mark, we can no longer put you on. I apologize. We'll take callers next week. It was just the 30 minutes before and then the 15 minutes or so, but we're going to go a little over with Adam, um, kind of lock things up. So I apologize for that. Uh, Adam, for the you, – you know, you mentioned the – fact that the offense might not really be there where the Rangers wanted it to be with Nieves and I had someone reach out to me and mention that for Kent the USHL which was the or excuse me the USHS uh, which was the league he was playing in before he went to the USHL for a short stint and then eventually went to Michigan he actually regressed he went from 39 points in 22 games to 39 points in 26 games and he mentioned that most players who come out of that type of a school who are top-end prospects don't regress like that. But I, I think part of what you need to look at is the way that they're used. And in Fogarty's case, you're looking at a guy who had 82 points in 60 VCHL games before he went on to the uh, to play for Notre Dame. So it depends on the way that they're used. And I think Fogarty is a better player today in terms of just overall hockey sense than he was when he first got to Notre Dame. But it's more of a defensive standpoint. Like you said, the Rangers are probably yeah, yeah. a little bit disappointed in that regard, but sometimes that's what happens in the process. I, I agree, and I think you know if he went to a you know a different school or played junior or something where he was put in a predominantly offensive role, uh, I, I don't think he turns into a legitimate NHL prospect. I just don't think there's enough there at the end of the day uh, to to really live off of it. So I think he really needed to get the defensive end of the game, um, you know, in his arsenal. 
Uh, so at the end of the day, you know, it was probably for the best. And, you know, again, look, it's the reality of prospects. You look at a guy like Brian Boyle, uh, uh, Boyle was a first-round pick, I think 28th overall by the Kings. And, and not only was he, you know, putting up points as a, as a teenager, but in, even in college, you know, he was scoring a ton of goals um, in Boston. And then once he went pro, you know, that he hit that wall. And it took him a long time for him to realize, like, I'm not going to be that big point producer. I need to remodel my game. And he didn't really turn into, you know, the good shutdown def- uh, center you know, who could stay in the NHL. He didn't really stick in the NHL and have an identity until, like, you know, 25 years old under Tortorella. So that that's just, you know, the reality of it is that not every prospect uh, is going to live up to the hype. Some are just not going to make it all together, but uh, some of them are going to be able to deal with that reality, swallow their pride a bit. I think Fogarty and Diaz are both uh, humble guys, and they'll be able to do that. And, uh, you know, like I said, there are no promises, uh, but these are guys legitimate NHL upside. So we'll see what happens. I also believe that the Monarchs, who's the Kings HL affiliate, made Boyle a defenseman uh, for a period of time. When he well, yeah. He, uh, he, uh, he had a lot of uh, – he had experience on, on defense even in college and before that. So when he struggled as a, you know, as a pro, they said, all right, well, maybe we take this big dude and turn him into defenseman. And that didn't work out. So, you know, that's how, that's how it is. Some guys like an Anthony Duclair – you know, just immediately, you know, it's obvious. And, uh, you know, they, they are, you know, superstars. And for some guys, it's, you know, a few years for them to really figure out, you know, who they are, what they can be hmm. at this level, and how much, you know, they're willing to swallow that pride and become that player. Uh, Mike, any thoughts on uh, Fogarty and the Eves before I ask Adam the last question so we don't run too far over for the people? Well, yeah, the, the thing that strikes me about both of them, they're both, you know, two big kids. They're both, I think, 6'3". Six, six, and I was wondering, um, you know, especially with the players and the prospects that we've moved um, with Sorella and obviously Duclair, um, what do you think, Adam, in regards to those speed players? Because, you know, I don't think, I think we'd be hearing a lot more about uh, Nieves and Fogarty if they were big speed players, um, speed players that exist in the system right now. Do you think that is an issue moving forward because you know with uh, with all the trades and kind of the talent pool getting uh, tapped a bit. Uh, yeah, well, with Niaz, I think he can be that you know that guy. Um, you know, again, he didn't maximize his, his uh, talents in Michigan always, but you know he's a guy who who uh, you know he's not an elite skater, but he's maybe a, a B plus A minus skater. Um, and when he wants to, he can, you know, really just drive the puck forward through the neutral zone past defenders. So hopefully he can show that more. Um, but yes, I, I agree. Um, Rangers need more speed at, at uh, the forward position. You know, uh, I, I think it's, it's pretty obvious by now, uh, that in the modern NHL size is a bonus. Uh, whereas, you know, things like speed and hockey IQ, those are imperative. You can, you can, uh, you know, be a small player in the NHL and succeed, but you can't be a big player and, and just get by on being big. That's not good enough anymore. So, um, you know, if you have a big guy with all the tools, you know, that's great. But I, I agree the Rangers um, are going to have to head into this draft, you know, where they're not drafting. Then the third round, as is now, that could change. But, you know, you're going to be dealing with, uh, you know, flawed players or, you know, there's going to be issues I think they need to, 
you know, like they have in years past, you know, just swing for the fences here, get some high upside guys, get some guys who can, you know, play a finesse game, who can skate, who can, you know, do uh, high octane, high, um, sorry, high octane things. Now, my final question is uh, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot a little bit, Adam, and I apologize, but the, most of the key free agents have kind of been taken. Obviously, any of the teams who are playing right now, uh, mainly my Quinnipiac podcast, if I have not mentioned, are those guys cannot be taken until they're done because the minute you sign with an NHL team, you effectively end your NCAA career. Is there anybody out there? I, I have not heard the Rangers link to Jimmy Vesey at all. I'd have to assume that's a pipe dream if anybody thinks that could happen. But are there any of those free agents that you've heard the Rangers are interested in that you think the Rangers might be interested in? Because they have to restock the farm, and they don't really have a ton of draft picks mm-hmm. to do so this year. Uh, there are some guys, Sam Annis on Quinnipiac. There's a couple of different people who – are undrafted and, and might be available, and some of the guys who are not signing and exercising that loophole to become free agents again. Is there anybody you think the Rangers should target because they've been ominously silent on this front? <clears throat> sure. Uh, one guy I really, I really took a liking to at the NCAA tournament, and his team is still active, uh, is Drake Kajula, uh, North Dakota, and he's a uh, part of what's the best line in college hockey right now, and. Uh, you know, it's kind of the typical story here. Uh, here's a guy who can skate. Here's a guy who plays hard. Here's a guy, you know, with skill who can pass puck to angle score. And guess what? You know, he's uh, 5'10 on a good day, 180 pounds. So we all know what this, you know, how things go for those kinds of guys. Uh, so that's that's the guy that I think uh, I'd be all over if I'm Gordy Clark trying to bring in. Um, He's a he's a legitimate NHL prospect who has you know uh, top six upside and uh, you know uh, odds are against any guy in these circumstances for the most part. But I think he's a legitimate NHL prospect and not just a guy you're taking a flyer on. Um, you know uh, it's uh, unfortunately a lot of the market's been exhausted by now. Uh, Brandon Tanev of Providence was a you know similar story. Uh, a lot of skill, a lot of speed, not the biggest guy, um, but he, uh, can't remember where he signed, um, but he's, he's off the market. And, you know, again, what we talked about is that these guys, uh, you know, it's, you, you can only offer them so much money you know, there's, there's limits on contracts to how much, how much you can pay them, how much bonuses can be, how long the term can be. So what these guys are looking at, you can't really get into a bid war. What you're dealing with is guys are looking at, all right, like, where do I want to live? Um, and a big one being how soon can I get into the NHL? How realistic of a shot do I have? And, you know, if you're this guy's agent, if you're the player, talking to your friends at higher levels or whatever, you're seeing Officer Lindbergh, Kevin Hayes, struggling to uh, get into the, into the to the lineup and these are high end prospects. Uh, so if you're, you know, if you're an NCAA guy who has all the odds stacked against him to begin with, uh, I don't think you're looking at the Rangers right now, unfortunately, uh, you know, thinking, you know, this is a place where I can, you know, get into the lineup uh, and over a Daniel Paye or Jared Stoll. That's it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, again, Gordy Clark always seems to pull, pull some magic you know, who thought they would have gotten Kevin Hayes two years ago? You know, fingers crossed on Jimmy Vesey out of Harvard. You never know. But uh, if I'm being honest, I'm going to take the Adam Chappie signing as a as a sign that the Rangers struck out on 
you know, a lot of their main targets, which is, which is really a shame. And, and that's probably a, a bigger aspect that, like I said, we will get into at some point over the summer, uh, which is, are the Rangers an attractive landing spot when money is no longer an issue for these kids? And like Adam said, the only thing there that's really tipping the scales is an opportunity to play in the NHL. And that's a really tough question for the Rangers to answer when Oscar Lindbergh, Dylan McElrath are, are rotting in the press box most every night. Yep, exactly. So that's, that's unfortunate. A lot, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. A lot of people told me that they disagreed with that. They didn't think that the, really the agents and the kids were aware of the ins and outs that were happening on the Rangers roster at any given time. And I sort of disagree. I really do think that it's an agent's job to know that information. I think it's an agent's job to make stuff like that clear. And look, you yep. see guys exercise this loophole for the tiniest reasons in the world. And Kevin Hayes did mm-hmm. it because he wasn't thrilled with the way that Chicago treated his brother before. And the Rangers happened to luck out. But I'll tell you what, if you sent Kevin Hayes back into that situation again now, if he was able to look at what the Rangers are doing to youth and Obviously, it's happening to him, but I'm not so sure they would land him. And there's a huge difference between a guy like Vessi and Hayes who were drafted and exercised that loophole than players who are undrafted who happen to be free agents, you know, the Bodies of the world. Um, I think uh, some of the players that Adam had mentioned, those guys, it's it's much different when you're an actual first-round talent like Chris Kreider or Kevin Hayes, who exercises the loophole, right. and you're a guy who was not drafted. So the Rangers got the better of the two. They got a first-round guy who was dominant in college, quite frankly, and they mm-hmm. it's paid off for them, even though they haven't really utilized it. So I, I think that they're, those things definitely play, play a factor. I really do think that. And I think mm-hmm. uh, in today's world, especially with social media, everybody's smarter. Adam, you know, we talked about this. Uh, last summer when Buchnevich signed his extension to stay in Russia, it might not have been the only thing that factored into the situation, but he made a point to say he did not want to get jerked up and down the NHL AHL lineup. So yeah. these guys are self-aware. They understand they're not robots. This is not NHL 16 where you can just throw a guy into the minors and there's no personality behind it. There's just some exactly. morale meter that you have to fill up. That's not the way that this works. And these guys see this stuff. And, uh, and I think they're more tuned in than ever. Yep, and uh, you know, just last quick thing, you know, uh, look at look at Ryan Bork, uh, just demanded a trade out of her, out of the uh, Rangers organization because he he the, the writing was on the wall. It was clear to him that no matter what he did in Hartford, no matter you know how well he was playing, he was going to get one pity game, you know, one pity meaningless game at the end of the last season, and uh, and that was it. You know, while they give chance after chance to uh, Ryan Malone or Jared Stoll, uh, or Daniel Pae, so. You know, and again, like these guys, they're all friends. They all went to hockey camps together. They all played together, played against each other. You know, agents share, you know, they share clients. Uh, they have older brothers playing, you know. So, so word, word spreads quickly and you're being, you're being awfully naive if uh, you don't think uh, player agents and players are, aren't looking at what's going on with the Rangers situation right now, looking at uh, how hard it is to break into the lineup while, you know, a Tanner Glass and a, and a Daniel Paye is given every chance to, to prove they don't belong. Yeah, I mean, Emerson Needham got less power play time right. in 19 games with the Rangers 
than Jason Magna did in one game. So these guys yep. know that stuff. They, they see that stuff. Of course they do. Mike, I, I apologize again that we've, we've kind of put you to the outside. Do you have any thoughts on whether or not the Rangers are uh, uh, an attractive landing spot for these guys, the, the short version at least? Well, the, I think the only counterpoint to raise is that because the, the prospect system is so depleted with, you know, just how frequently the team trades picks and prospects is that there are a few, you know, it's a smaller talent pool to compete against within the organization. But I think the points mm-hmm. that both Adam and you have raised are frankly more, they carry more water. You know, it's, it's more important to see a legacy of how the prospects before you and around you were being treated. And, you know, there will always be a, a, the appeal and lure of playing for New York, and that will always mean something, which is something that works for the Rangers' advantage. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, the legacy of a, uh, of a head coach and an organization that just doesn't seem to want to use its young talent, um, the, the young talent that does get a chance has been exceptional. And if you're not exceptional, you just don't get that chance. And it's been a, it's been a while now since the Rangers have really seen talent that's exceptional. And when we have seen it, uh, it ends up in Arizona, which was the case with Declare. So, and look, these things have an impact that it's the ripple effect. They it kind of spreads out, and you look at something like this year. And if the Rangers are striking out, like Adam insinuated, and, and I fully agree with him that there has to be interest in some of these guys. And again, we'll we'll see you you think some of the best players are still playing right now, but the ripple effect is the Rangers have a lot of holes to fill next year, just based off of the prospects that they are probably not bringing back on those contracts. And you have the opportunity to fill those up and you, you look at that and say, Hey, look, there's a blank slate. You can really make a difference here, but the be all end all is to get to the NHL. And if a guy like Ryan Bork who put his time in and really did anything and everything the Rangers could have possibly asked. God is all the way up to really the end of cuts the past two years from training camp. If he looks at the situation and says, hey, I've done everything I can and this is not working for me, you have to assume that other guys are looking at that situation too. And he was a good soldier. And when the Rangers had an opportunity to bring him up and really take a chance on him, they went out and signed Daniel Paye, who they predictably waived. So that has to mean something. And I agree with you, Adam, and you too, Mike, that it's just – Players are far more plugged in today than they ever are. You can go on your smartphone and you can get news from across the world if you want. You type in a Google search about Elaine Vigneault or rookies on the NHL and something's going to come up. It may come up on Blue Shirt Banter, but something's going to come up. So, uh, you know, it's it just is what it is. And like I said, I think the, the final judgment for this team and this really not even the team, but the, the brass itself is going to be this summer when we see what Gordon does with the dead weight that he has, and we see what he does in, in replenishing his prospect pool. But there does kind of have this, this is the last shot mentality for everything, not just for the New York Rangers, but for the prospect system too. So something's got to change somewhere along the lines. We took you all almost 20 minutes beyond the, uh, the 45 minute whistle, Adam, I, I appreciate you coming on and uh, we should do this again, yeah, whenever sure. you, Release your prospect rankings. Not that I'm putting any pressure on you, but uh, whenever that happens, it'll be great. <laughs> you can find all of us at Blue Shirt Banter. You can find Adam at twitter.com at Adam Z Herman, H-E-R-M-A-N. Mike at Dig Deep BSB, myself at Blue Shirt Banter. You can also find Mike on blueshirtbanter.com slash riveters and today's Slapshot, where he has a, uh, a two-part interview with Chad White and the 
head coach and now also general manager of the uh, New York Riveters of the National Women's Hockey League. Uh, Adam, anything to uh, to add to this? Uh, no, I'm just uh, really proud of myself for not passing out while I was on here. <laughs> Us too, although that that might have been a ratings boost if you did. That would have been spectacular. Yeah, the Percocet uh, probably helped things out. Yeah, over. Mike, anything you want to throw out there to the masses? Uh, let's hope for good news on Girardi, and let's go Rangers. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and as my daily plea is, please go subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, give us five stars and leave a nice comment. It just helps other Rangers fans find us. You guys have been great with that. And if, wherever you listen to us, if it's on Blog Talk Radio, uh, if it's on iTunes, if it's on any of the other areas that people are coming in and, and listening to the podcast and downloading it, subscribe to us there too, because those metrics go into some analytical formula and kind of changes the way that we're viewed in, in the grand scheme of things. So uh, like I said, downloads have been spectacular. This has been overwhelmingly positive from all of you. We appreciate that. And a little boost forward will uh, continue the dominance that is Blue Shirt Panther. Uh, thank you, everybody. I appreciate it. Thank you, Adam, again for coming on. Thanks, Mike, as usual. And remember, next week we'll be back on uh, on Tuesday. We're only going to move the show in the event of a uh, Ranger game. Good night, everybody. Good night.